Have mercy. Mercy is what this episode of Love Someone is all about. Mercy ships, to be more precise. Giant floating hospitals that travel to the furthest reaches of the globe to bring medical care to some of the poorest communities and to those most in need. For over 40 years, Mercy Ships has been changing lives, healing lives, saving lives, serving as a beacon of hope. They provide free medical procedures, over 100,000 to date, to those with no other access to medical care. Aided by volunteers in the medical field and countless other professions who support the ship's operations, the galley crew, housekeeping, hospitality, administration, education, and many, many more areas. And what's really amazing is that it is all sustained by the generosity of volunteers and donors. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into how, why, and where these high seas adventures take place. And to help me tell this tale, I'm being joined today by Carrie Peterson, Vice President of Advancement at Mercy Ships. You have served with the organization, Carrie, for how many years? Well, on and off for probably 33 years. I took a 10-year break, and I've been back for the last 22 years. Wow. You have been helping to bring about some amazingly successful fundraising efforts by the organization. You've held several management positions during your time there uh, in finance, the on-ship general manager. So you understand the ins and the outs of this beautiful, beautiful organization. But before we get to the adventures of our swashbuckling surgeons and the ship's crew, we're going to send a ship-to-shore signal to one of our sponsors right now, the folks who make this podcast possible. This podcast is sponsored by a company making a wonderful product designed to help grow and strengthen hair. It's Nutrafol. Over 30 million women are impacted with weakened or thinning hair. So no matter what stage of life, thinning hair can be a huge problem. Nutrafol works by offering two targeted formulas clinically shown to improve hair's growth and thickness with less shedding. Nutrafol targets the five main causes of thinning hair, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. It's physician formulated and 100% drug-free. They use medical-grade botanicals in consistently effective dosages, giving the most reliable results. Hair growth takes time. Over 80% of the women using Nutrafol showed hair growth after only six months. Not only does Nutrafol help transform your hair, it helps restore confidence as it works. Growing thicker, healthier hair with the help of Nutrafol. Nutrafol. Nutrafol.com. Enter promo code HOPE and save 20% off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and you'll receive free shipping, too. Get 20% off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, Nutrafol.com. Use the promo code HOPE. Back with me is Carrie Peterson, who has been with Mercy Ships almost as long as Mercy Ships has been around, because they've been around like 40 years, right? A uh, little over 40, yep. And you've been on board and off board the ship off and on for 32. So you got to come on board Mercy Ships when they were an infant. 
right as they were getting started. Tell us who are Mercy Ships. Give us the backstory and a little general overview of this amazing, amazing ministry that I want to shout from the rooftops how proud I am of the work, Carrie, that you guys do. It's changed so much over the years. Um, you know, basically, we've been called to help people. And uh, I think the original vision came from our founder, Don Stevens, when he was just a teenager, having served in the Caribbean after a hurricane and seeing the devastation and, and getting the vision for having a, a ship that could come and provide aid and deliver relief supplies. And that was really where the dream started. Uh, it was many years later when it actually became a reality with our first ship, the Anastasis. That would have been in 1978. So just as I was graduating high school, the first ship was taking to the seas to go to the poorest of the poor. Well, it didn't start that glamorously. And actually, we graduated high school about the same time. (laughs) But anyways, um, no, in 1978, the first ship was bought. It was an old ocean liner that served in the Mediterranean, and it was purchased for the price of $1 million and converted. It took several years to convert it and uh, make it into something that was usable. Uh, Back in the old days, we would have one hour of power a day where we would go and buy a 55-gallon drum of fuel so that we could have power for one day, and we had volunteers chipping rust and sanding and trying to get the ship back in shape to be of service. And um, that ship was joined later by a couple of other ships, smaller ships, and it served, I believe, up until 2012 when it was replaced with the Africa Mercy, the ship that's now currently in service. One hour a day to do all the work? Yeah, and if we had more time, there are so many other stories of having no heat or having no air conditioning in Africa and and all the wonderful hardships that we had. Um, And I I really say that fondly because it was so many challenges, but it was a community of people that were were called to be there to serve others. And um, we met the challenges together, and it it was just a wonderful time of community while we were able to serve so many other people. And now tell me what Mercy Ships looks like. So Africa Mercy replaced the Anastasis back in 2012, and uh, it has been serving in Africa. We have a crew of about 450 people. That's people from all walks of life, over 40 different nations of crew that come and give themselves to volunteers. Some of them come for years. Some of them come for months. We have teachers and engineers and doctors and nurses and cooks. Um, We have an onboard academy for the families, for the children of the families, so that they can go to school and the families can stay together as part of the community. And uh, currently, we are preparing to go back after COVID into Senegal, starting in January of 2022. And um, we are just so excited about being back, doing what God's called us to do. So... I know that you do amazing things on the ship, 
But I did not know until this past year when we started kind of working together, the amazing things you do off the ship, which blew my mind because I think a lot of times when people go into a community and do good and then leave, sometimes it leaves a void. But what Mercy Ships does is you go into the community wherever you dock and you set up clinics and you teach the doctors and the nurses and you work with the local population so that when your ship pulls out of port, the community has not just got healthier people who had surgeries or who had medical treatment, but the whole community is empowered. Yeah, that's that's a, one of the amazing things about the model that we have, and we've been doing that for years. And honestly, for all of the, the bad that COVID has brought us, the, one of the blessings that it's really allowed us to focus in on finding new ways to expand that. So as during this season where the ship has not been able to serve in Africa, we still are able to find new and innovative ways to continue to help even more people on the ground. And I think that model is going to continue in years to come. So not only using the ship and all its resources and the training facilities, but, you know, finding new ways to train even when the ship, before the ship gets there, after the ship leaves. And as you know, we have a new ship, the Global Mercy, that we should be taking delivery of in the next uh, 60 days. And that ship, we got to design that from the ground up. Our other ships have all been refit from other uses. Uh, but this one we were able to design using all the experience we've had for the last 40 years in how to build a, a functioning hospital, but even more important, this one is built for training. We have simulation labs and training rooms and the ORs are designed so that we can ha uh, be training local physicians and, and uh, surgeons so that long after we go, people are still receiving the help that they so desperately need. Carrie, tell our listeners how you personally more than 30 years ago, got involved with Mercy Ships and why you keep coming back? Well, that's a complicated story because when I first joined, I was in the middle of my college experience and um, kind of a workaholic and was getting burned out between my work and going to school, more work than going to school. And um I needed to take a break, and I had known Don Stevens, the founder, from several years before, and uh, I asked if I could come and join, and I flew down to New Zealand and joined the ship down there, served with them for a little while. Uh, I think it was while well, I was single, and then I met my wife back home, and she moved on board. We had our first son on board. So we served for a couple of years, and then I left. I kind of finished my schooling and took a job consulting for 10 years. And why I came back was simply because I knew that I knew that I knew that this is what God wanted me to do. And that's why I'm still here today. And how many surgeries, I mean, I know because of COVID it changed, but how many surgeries does the Mercy Ship typically do in a 10-month time in a country? Well, I believe it's it's just over a thousand. Wow. So um, let's see. In 2019, before COVID, we had mentored 150 
healthcare professionals. There were a little over 1,800 surgical procedures. So some people have more than one procedure, but so it's probably about a little over 1,000 patients. So we also trained about a little over 1,200 people in um, essential pain management, safe surgery, primary trauma care, anesthesia procedures, things like that. So that's part of our overall commitment. When we leave, we want the healthcare infrastructure to be so much stronger than before we got there. I think that's one of the things I love most, Carrie, is that you're you're not just going into a community or going into a country and doing good and leaving. You're going in and, and changing lives and changing the whole healthcare paradigm. So even after you leave, you're still there. You're still impacting lives. You're still changing lives. You're still saving lives and blessing people and making communities stronger. Well, that is what we're called to do. All right, Carrie, now that we have a better understanding of what Mercy Ships is all about and how you got started, I'm going to share some incredible conversations here that I've had with a few of your volunteers. Their stories are amazing. So right now, let's listen to Rayanne. Rayanne share her story of why she chose Mercy Ships, she and her family, and how that has changed the trajectory of their lives. Rayanne and her family joined Mercy Ships, I believe, Rayanne, in the summer of 2019? Yes, that's correct. And how many of you went to live on the ship? Was it just you or was it the whole family? Our whole family went. We have three children, a son who is 12, and we have twin daughters who will be 15 in April. And your hubby went with, what was your role on the ship and what was his? So my husband was hired to be a chaplain on the ship. And when I first arrived, my role is the primary caregiver. So I had to make sure my children were taken care of first. And after that, I worked in the communications department as the creative coordinator. But really, my passion was to also do chaplaincy work with my husband. And come March of 2020, I was able to transfer over into the chaplaincy department, and that's where I served for the rest of our time. And how long were you on board the ship? Not even an entire year because of the pandemic. Ah, so what what did you have to go through? What did you and Roger and the three kids go through in order to be a part of Mercy Ships for that year? Well, it was actually quite a long process. My husband started researching it for quite some time and he applied for his position and I want to say November of 2018 and then it was just a long process of interviews, background checks, references and one of the hiccups was trying to find a space on the ship for our whole family to live in. What was Hubby doing that he could just just say, oh, by the way, I want to go live on a ship with my family? He was in law enforcement for almost 20 years and decided that he wanted to retire and perhaps go back into full-time ministry, which he was doing prior to being with the police department. And he did. He retired from his job when we knew that we had an offer for Mercy Ships. Tell me how this impacted your children. Our kids are incredible and they are total troopers. They all were in. We went definitely the first couple weeks, if not the first couple months. There were lots of tears at night 
you know, we miss our home, we miss our friends. It was difficult, but I told them, isn't it ironic that on May 21st, when we left the ship, there was far more tears and they were devastated that we had to leave. They did not want to go. And they were radically impacted by this experience, mostly because their worldview was blown up and not just because they were living in West Africa, but more so because we were living in a global community on the ship where there's people from over 40 different countries in the world living on the ship together. So their eyes were opened. So do you have a favorite story, something that just blew your mind, maybe with one of the patients with yourself or one of the kids or or your hubby? What an amazing opportunity to be a pastor to people from over 40 countries. Oh, my goodness. I have so many stories that I could share with you. But I think the one that really impacted me deeply was it was March 14th, 2020, when the ship went into lockdown. And we were told that we were going to conclude operations as soon as possible to be able to leave Senegal quickly. And Mercy Ships employs over 200 of the local people to work on the ship while we're in country. We call them day crew. And they are essential. There are translators. They help in the engine room, in the galley, in the hospital. They're very essential. But because we were going into lockdown, we couldn't have those day crew going home to their families at night and then coming back to the ship and risking any infection. So we asked over 70 of the day crew, if they would stay in isolation with us, not return to their home and help us pack up until we were able to leave. Surprisingly enough, all of them said yes. And a couple of days later, we were down on the dock saying goodbye to some of the crew that were flying back to their home countries. And I looked up and I saw this one Senegalese man, his name is Mambala. And he was one of our security guards who stood at the gate of our dock leading into the port to make sure we were safe. He monitored who came in and who came out. My daughters had got to know Mambala a little bit because they would take the trash out each week for the academy and they had to go out into the port to do that. And so Mambala would open the gate for them. And when we would leave to go into town to have dinner, we would speak with Mambala. And on this day, I saw him. And I walked over to him and I had tears in my eyes and I said, Mambala, thank you so much for staying with us. Thank you for helping us and staying for lockdown. And he looked at me and he said, oh, mom, you are my family. We are together. Of course I'll stay. And I was so impacted by this sentiment. And I learned that in Senegal, in their native language of Wolof, there is a phrase called Nokio Book. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it means we are together. And this is really a lifestyle for the Senegalese people. And I learned later that it's not really just unique to Senegal, but it's really the continent of Africa. And the people, they believe that the whole is more important than the individual. And so it was really powerful for me to see someone sacrifice being with their family, the comfort of their own home and their bed and their food to lock down with us indefinitely. I think being in a culture that's very individualistic, 
like the one I grew up in, it just really impacted me and convicted me, made me feel that I want to live my life considering other people as more important than myself. And I want to raise my children in such a way that they look look to others as more important than themselves and live their lives in a way that is self-sacrificing like this man did and several of the other Senegalese people did for us. I love that. It was amazing because Mambala told me, he said, I will be here until you leave. And I have a video and a picture when our ship pulled away from the dock, the dock was completely empty. And the only person that was there was Mambala waving goodbye to us. Mm. And how soon before you go back? We'll go back as soon as we can. I was going to say that I, I saw the project that you do, is it or Point Hope? Point Hope, and we're hoping that we can team up with Mercy Ships because, as you know, not only do they, you know, they port at different places in developing countries, but they teach the local doctors and nurses so that the work they do is sustainable and continues on after the ship pulls out of port. And we are so hoping that Point Hope can team up with Mercy Ships for some of that wonderful training and that goodness that they impart on the not just not just you know the people that come on board the ship but they impart goodness on the whole community forever yeah absolutely oh that would be wonderful it would be great so that's what we're hoping for but i just love what mercy ships what they do what they've done for decades i i know several people who've been a part of it and who've traveled with them and who've made the two year commitment and they all say i am such a much better person a different person because of what Mercy Ships and that community on board the ship brought into my life. So, so proud of you guys. Oh, well, thank you. It was it was such a privilege. And I can honestly say for the last 10 months that we have been off the ship, my husband and I have been grieving. There is not a day that goes by that we don't mourn that experience and are so devastated that it ended short for us. Well, God's got a plan. That is for sure. He wouldn't have brought you back early if he didn't have a plan. So um, I've got your number and we're going to be in touch. Wonderful. Well, thank you. I'll talk to you soon, honey. God bless you. Thank you. You too. Thank you, Rayanne. Now we're going to uh, spend a little bit of time getting to know Marta. And we're going to find out how Mercy Ships has helped Marta and how Marta has helped Mercy Ships and one very special, special patient in particular. Hi, this is Marta. Hi, Marta. This is Delilah. Thank you for uh, agreeing to spend a little time talking about Mercy Ships with us. Oh, my goodness. It is such an honor. I just I can't believe I was even asked. So how old were you, Marta, when you decided to be a part of Mercy Ships? So when I was back in high school and thinking about being a nurse, um, my dad had kind of heard about Mercy Ships and he said, you know, there are lots of opportunities for missions. And he said, there's even a floating hospital out there. And I was like, what? That sounds so cool. And so that's when I first heard about Mercy Ships and kind of kept it in the back of my head. And right around after I'd been working as a nurse for two years, 60 Minutes did a special on the Mercy Ships. And um, I remember watching that with my mom and just bawling. And I just knew, like, this is something that I need to do. So... It was actually that night I printed the application and started the process. And then it was about a year from then when I actually landed on the ship. How long was the stint that you did? How long did you volunteer for? 
Yeah, it was about seven months. So it was long enough that I had to quit my job. And I really wanted to be on the ship from the start field service to the end. And that year was the first year in Madagascar. So it was a seven-month stint. Was it transformative? Yeah, Delilah, it absolutely was. I really wanted to make a difference and love people. I was going to say, tell me about Zambani. Yeah, he is the the one patient from my time there that stands out the most. He arrived with a, I think it ended up being a 16-pound tumor on his face. And he was so weak. He actually had to be carried for the whole journey. He lived, he lived way out in the boonies. Like there were no roads. They had to, his grandson carried him for two days just to get to a road so they could ride a bus to the ship. The surgery was risky um, just because the tumor was so huge and his body was so, so weak. So, you know, the doctor talked about, you know, this is kind of a life-threatening surgery. Are you sure you want to do this? And he said, like, I feel like I'm dead inside already from this tumor. It's worth the risk for me, and I want to get this tumor removed. And so he went in for surgery. I think it was it was an all-day surgery, and he ended up needing 10 or 11 units of blood. It was amazing. I went out to dinner with some friends that night while he was having a surgery. And when I came back, I was walking up the steps into the ship, and somebody yelled down the ramp at me, Marta! Sambani's in surgery and he needs your blood. And I was like, what? Like they had run out of the units that they'd stored for him. And so they were asking all the other A-positive people to go um, donate their blood. And so I, I went down into the lab and they drew it right away. And I mean, they didn't even put it on a cooler. They took it right into the OR and gave it to him. And then this is the coolest part, Delilah. I went to bed that night um, praying for him and wasn't, I mean, I didn't know if he was going to make it through surgery and woke up in the morning for my 7 a.m. shift and I walked in and he was my patient for the day. I got to take care of him. And um, when I went in for my shift, he was still sedated and on the ventilator. And I got to be the person to hold the mirror for him to see his face for the first time after that tumor was removed. And I just remember him laughing. Like he looked at himself and he just laughed and he took his hand like kind of trying to touch where the tumor used to be, like not used, he wasn't used to having that space anymore. And um, yeah, it, he he was just so, so excited. And we were all crying. God let you form this relationship before the surgery with somebody. Then yeah. he let yeah. you donate your own blood to save his life. And then yeah. you got to be the nurse on duty when the big reveal, when he got to see himself afterwards. How cool is that? It's just amazing. I would love to go back someday. All right. God bless you, hon. You too, Delilah. And now we're going to talk to Nate, a young man who is so excited. You can feel the excitement in his voice, in his stories, and his love for Mercy Ships. Hi, Delilah. Tell me how you got started in this. Why Mercy Ships? How old were you? When did you first say, yeah, I want to be a part of this? Well, it actually goes back, oh gosh, uh, if I think about it, 18 years ago when I was 18 years old. So I uh, first introduced to Mercy Ships during a, a gap year. So at the high school, not just not quite clear on where 
I wanted to go, what direction I wanted to head in terms of a profession or career. So I took a gap year. And um, most of that year, I spent volunteering with Mercy Ships. So I wasn't yet uh, a medical professional, but uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for people outside of the medical profession in Mercy Ships. So I volunteered at that point, that was in 2003, and really just got my kind of not my first exposure to healthcare and developing worlds, but it re- really was one of the significant uh, seeds that w- was planted in my mind about healthcare being a tangible way to uh, to help people that are suffering or that are in need. Okay, so you started at 18. How long did you spend during your first stint? I think it was about five and a half, six months, something like that. Uh, and part of that was spent. Uh, on the ground in in Sierra Leone, which is a country in West Africa. So the ship at that time was sailed around a lot more than it does now. Um, we were in Sierra Leone, and so really good experience for me to learn about about how our patients live, essentially. Um, and that would prove to be very valuable for me in the future when I went on to work on our patient selection team and uh, as a nurse in the wards and and other roles that I've had with the organization. So you came back, you decided to go to school, and what is your degree in? So, yeah, I, I I've eventually found my way into nursing. So I have a bachelor's in uh, science in nursing, and um, I actually, during nursing school, went back to the ship and, and volunteered for a summer in nursing school uh, just to keep, I guess, my eyes on the prize about what got me interested in nursing in the first place, um, and it did just that. And then I finished nursing school, and uh, worked for several years, almost five years, uh, in a burn intensive care unit in California before uh, going back to the ship finally as a nurse in 2012. And I've mostly been uh, full-time with Mercy Ships ever since 2012. Tell me, Nate, one story, if you can, can narrow it down to one, one experience, one story that you've had over the last 18 years that was life-changing. Like, when I first went to West Africa, I was changed on a cellular level. I, my DNA was changed after I went on my first trip to Ghana. Um, tell me something that happened that you knew that you knew that you knew that this was the path that God wanted you on. Well, I, I think the one that comes to mind for me was it happened, I think it was 2015. The ship was docked in a port in Madagascar. And we happened to be there for uh, two years in a row, which is unusual for us, but that was because the Ebola crisis was happening in West Africa, which we're just not quite well equipped for um, on our ship. So we were in Madagascar, and I was on our patient selection team at that time, which is the team that comes up with the strategy and then is responsible essentially to implement that strategy to recruit the patients that we do surgery for on the ship. And we traveled all around the country of Madagascar, which is beautiful, by the way. And um, we we went to this town about... Highest biodiversity in the world, by the way. Absolutely beautiful, yeah. So we we took this trip uh, to this town, kind of across the island, actually. And we were there for two days holding a big patient selection event, which is just open to the public. Usually we, we would hold them at a hospital. And just streams and streams of people would come to see us to see if there was something that we could do to help them. So... Um, hundreds, if not thousands of people kind of come to these events. And this is the first time that they interact with Mercy Ships and we're essentially doing kind of some triage and figuring out if if we can help them on the ship. 
And so we were there for two days. It was a very busy two days. But on the second day, I was the one doing the pre-screening, so doing the very initial yes-no. And the line had finally wound down, and it was sort of just people were coming in in a trickle. And um, I saw this woman coming towards me down the hall. And as she got closer, I realized that she was holding a little child in her arms. And they got closer and then right in front of me. And this little child uh, didn't have a shirt on. And there was just something kind of covering her neck and her upper torso and her upper arm. And as she began to talk, um, she explained that the child, who was about three years old, had been burned in an accidental scald burn in the kitchen about five months prior. So oddly enough, what I was looking at was a burn, but I didn't quite recognize it as such because it was it had been untreated for that long. And so all my years oh. in a burn unit, um, I had never really seen something quite like that. But this was highly infected. She was obviously in pain. She looked very frail. And to me, it looked like she had lost weight. I had assumed she just looked very thin and very unhappy. And the mother explained what was going on. They hadn't been able to find care for her. And this is all happening in my heart's sinking because um, we have certain inclusion and exclusion criteria and a certain set of kind of a scope of practice that we have on the ship. Whereas, you know, not like a level one trauma center in the, in the States because we don't have all the specialists, we don't have all the equipment needed for every kind of condition. Um, and, and this type of burn is not something that's with normally within our scope of practice. So my heart sank and I'm, I was holding back tears and let out some size because I was trying to figure out how to convey to this woman that we weren't going to be able to help her, which was going to be devastating for all of us. And so I, I, I just kept pausing. I couldn't figure, figure out how to formulate the words. And finally, I went to one of my colleagues and said, I know this is outside of our scope of practice, but we need to call back to the ship and ask for an exception. And she agreed. And we, we called back and we got, we fortunately got a positive answer. And they said, yes, Bring, bring her to the ship and we'll, we'll see if there's anything that we can do. So I got to go back to the mom and relay that to her and she was very excited, but they, they wanted to chat it over with the family, which they did. But at the end of the day, they decided, um, they said yes. And we asked them to come back with us the next day to the ship because she really needed pretty urgent attention. And um, she met the medical teams on the ship, uh, got the care that she needed. She she really needed surgical debridement under general anesthesia for this burn because it was so it was beyond just uh, you know cleaning up like you would a burn that might happen at home. And we we gave her all the nutrition that she needed, got her all tuned up, uh, and then a couple weeks later she got a skin graft, and soon enough she was kind of bouncing down the halls of the hospital, um, a plump and healthy three year old child again. And the, the story normally stops there um, for, for most of our experiences in mercy ships because we don't get to follow up long-term with our patients in a lot of instances. But as I mentioned, we were in Madagascar two years in a row. And so this occurred in the first year. The second year we were there, we went back to this very same town. We did a two-day patient selection event, very similar to what we did the year before. And a very similar time of day, on the second day, I was out pre-screening, and lo and behold, mom and daughter came walking down the same corridor, but this time she was not held in her mom's arms. She was almost skipping along beside her, and they came with huge smiles on their faces to, to basically say hi and to say thank you for what you have done. I'm just sitting here crying, picturing this with you. <laughs> 
And um, uh, we just had hugs and smiles all around. And then they invited us over to their their house to meet the family after our work day was done. And we, we had cake and orange soda and just celebrated. But yeah, it was one of the most special experiences of my life that I'll never forget. Oh my gosh. There's a, there's a chance she may have died if it was left untreated. She was, she was really that sick. Um, and, um, she could have died from sepsis or something like that. But at the very least without treatment, she would have been quite disabled, um, and limited in her range of motion and things like that. So, um, it's just an amazing privilege to be part of her story and to, to get to share that with her. I hang on to that story a lot when I'm having down days or I'm discouraged about things that we're working on and challenges that we're facing. So uh, it's stories like that that keep, that keep me going. And, there, and there's just hundreds, if not thousands, more like that. Um, we're, we're so lucky in this organization because we get to see pretty quick results from the work that we put in. So um, I know there's a lot of other development work out there that's equally as important, but they don't get that quite as immediate feedback as we do. So I feel I feel spoiled in that regard. Well, thank you for taking time, Nate, to talk with us. Thank you for being with Mercy Ships mostly. Thank you for having such a, a tender heart, you know, such a such a beautiful heart that that's your priority is blessing and touching and healing and loving because it's yeah. e- it's easy to talk about love as a concept. It's easy to talk about love as an emotion or a feeling, but what Mercy Ships does is they truly show love in a tangible, life-changing way. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and that's that's one of the major things that I'm drawn to about this work is, is how practical and tangible it is. I mean, that links back to really my 18 year old experiences. I saw that I saw that and I was drawn to that. And, uh, again, I, I have nothing really other than just a, a posture of gratitude that I get to be a, a part of this. Cause I'm, I, I feel a part of a, a, a whole thing. It's not, it's certainly not a individual thing, but, uh, yeah, gratitude is my overall response. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal. Unlike any other, as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. 
With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Carrie, you know, I cried when I, I really did. I cried when I talked to each of these amazing volunteers when we connected and uh, they shared their heart. And I cry every time I listen to them. These stories help me to visualize how absolutely life-changing, not just for the patients, not just for the the very, very poor people in the communities that you are empowering, but for the volunteers that are on board the ships and how their lives are impacted. Yeah, so as I told you, as we talked about before, we have some amazing people who are called together to be a part of this wonderful work that we're so privileged to be a part of. I think that as I look back on all these years and all the amazing transformations that I've seen, and I have my own stories of, of people, individuals, patients that have really touched my heart and changed my life. But when I really look back at it, and people have asked me before about all these wonderful people that we get to serve and things like that and, and why, why I'm called here. And it would be great to say it's so I could help all these people, but I really believe it's because God wanted to change me and do a work in my life. And I, I see the, the impact of working with the volunteers, and that's what they say over and over again as I talk to them, and I know it's true in my own life as well, that being able to serve and to help other people has been more of a benefit to me than it probably has been to them as I just see all of the the good and form the relationships. I want to get a little more information, Carrie, before I let you go, but I need to stop here for a moment and say a few words about one of our podcast sponsors, this episode's podcast sponsor, without whom we wouldn't be able to share this great news and the good works of Mercy Ships. Want in on a secret of keeping your kids busy with a fun project? From Annie's Young Woodworkers Kit Club, the sponsor of this podcast. Now, what they send to your home each month is perfect for encouraging kids' creativity. They're able to build something they'll be proud of every month. Annie sends you the supplies, the instructions, even the tools. When you sit down and help your kids put the project together, it's a fun time, a bonding time. And the pride and sense of accomplishment that comes with mastering real-world building skills goes a long way. The Young Woodworkers Kit Club is designed for children 7 to 12 years of age. It's the perfect window of opportunity to pass on a love for woodworking. Visit youngwoodworkers.com slash love for 50% off. That's youngwoodworkers.com slash love for 50% off. All right, Carrie, it's your turn again. Before I let you go, please let our listeners uh, have all the information they need so that they can contact you and get involved with Mercy Ships. It takes all kinds. 
you know, we have teachers, we have cooks, engineers. We need all kinds to join together to be part of this global community of people with a heart to serve others. And um, it's not hard. We've got a new ship coming. We need volunteers. We need support. We need people to pray. We need people to give. We need people to go. And it's quite simple. They can just go to mercyships.org slash love. And uh, they're on the website. They'll be able to see how they might want to be a part. Pray, give, go. First and foremost, we need to be in prayer that God would just have his hand upon the mercy ships and everybody involved. Give if you can donate. You know, it's not cheap running a floating hospital. And go if you can volunteer, if you're an electrician, an engineer, a plumber, a, a pastor, a teacher, somebody that can can wash sheets, whatever it is. I know that there is a place for you to be a blessing to others. Yep, and, and the blessing will be theirs and ours. Carrie, it was awesome for you to join me. We're trying our best. Uh, I'm trying my best every day on the show to get the word out about Mercy Ships, the work they do. It is almost incomprehensible. Until I went to West Africa myself, I had no idea the disparity between what we have access to and what a large part of the world's population has no access to. Uh, The volunteers brought it to life for us, talked about how rewarding serving aboard one of these floating hospitals can be. Um, If you, my listener, if you have some time and a skill that you can share, as Carrie said, they need volunteers of all kinds, not just medical professionals. If you're inspired by the Mercy Ship story, maybe you're a photographer, maybe you want to do videos, maybe, I don't know, maybe you want to cook. There are just so many ways you can help. And of course, donations are desperately needed, especially as this new uh, ship comes online. Your prayers, your blessings are the most important. If you want information, as Carrie said, visit mercyships.org. Mercyships.org. You'll find all the information. You can fill out the forms. You can get involved in any way you wish. Thank you for joining me here on Love Someone. We have a new podcast the second and fourth Tuesday of each month. And, of course, join me on the air live every night Carrie, Lord bless you. Thank you, Delilah. It's been wonderful talking to you.